There are two readings this morning. Firstly, from Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, and then Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 to 10. So, Genesis chapter 2, verse 1. First, the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work that he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. And then Hebrews chapter 4, starting at verse 1. Therefore, Since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the gospel preached to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them, because those who heard it did not combine it with faith. Now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said, So I declared an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his work has been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day, God rested from all his work. And again in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. It still remains that some will enter that rest. And those who formerly had the gospel preached to them did not go in because of their disobedience. Therefore God again set a certain day, calling it today, when a long time later he spoke through David, as was said before. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we've just sung in that song, Knowing You, Jesus, Knowing You, There Is No Greater Thing. And we pray, our Father, that you, by your Spirit, would enable our hearts to catch up with that truth that a mouse sing. We pray, Father, as we think on this subject of rest, that, Father, you would increase our view of Jesus and what he has done so that nothing would compare to it. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. One of my um, favourite childhood stories in recent years comes from my childhood home in Kent. Um, In 2010, a man from Gillingham, which is near where I used to live, needed rescuing from a boat uh, by the Sheerness Lifeboat and Thames Coast Guard uh, near the Isle of Sheppey. And um, he was picked up because he was acting kind of strangely. He was encircling the Isle of Sheppey over and over and over. And eventually he ran out of fuel and ran aground on the Sheppey Marshes. And when the Coast Guard found him and asked him, what are you doing uh, circling the island? He explained, well... I'm sailing to Southampton. But this sailor thought to himself that he didn't need the usual maritime equipment. Instead, he thought to himself, I'll just keep the land 
on my right, and eventually I'll get to Southampton. Now, if you look at a map, I'm afraid it's a bit bleached, but you can just make out the Isle of Sheppey there, you can just make out the land. Um, it's quite a good idea, isn't it? That if you keep the land on your right, you eventually come round the uh, edge of the country and eventually land at Southampton. But he wasn't counting on the Isle of Sheppey, which is just there. And so when he ran into it, he kept the land on his right. And you've guessed it, it went round and around and around and around. It makes me so proud to have come from there. It's a great story. <laughs> well, the topic of our passage this morning is about avoiding a similar danger. Uh, not, obviously, in maritime but in our lives. See, our passage this morning speaks about the goal of creation, the destination, what we've been designed for. And without knowing what it teaches, there's a danger we'd be like the Sheppy sailor, going round and round with our lives, never reaching the destination that you and me have been made for. Now, you don't need me to tell you that we are in a spot in our culture, I think, where people are very active, there are lots of working, lots of playing, lots of socialising, but it feels like we're going around the island. There's a little sense in our culture, I think, of where that activity is taking us. Uh, And when you ask people, what are you doing, why are you doing it, people struggle to come up with an answer. But this morning, in our passage, we get the answer from no less our maker. And it comes in this concept of rest, and that's what I want us to be thinking about this morning. Um, First of all, I want us to see that God chooses rest. We're going to think about what that means. Uh, Secondly, uh, we're going to move on to us and think, um, okay, how does that uh, speak to me? Where do I fit in with that? And then thirdly, we're going to see the way to that rest, and uh, there's no prizes for guessing. It's through Jesus. First of all, though, God chooses to rest. Um, In the last three weeks, we've been in the book of Genesis, And uh, Genesis is a book all about the beginnings of the universe and us. And uh, remember, back three weeks ago, which seems a long time ago because we covered a lot of ground, three weeks ago we started with a world that was without form and empty. And remember that God, on days one to three, he kind of prepared the canvas. He made the world with form. And in days four to six, he paints in the picture. He fills the world. Now, if you've got questions about that and science and evolution and all those sorts of things, um, please do listen to the talks. We're now on Spotify, uh, which I'm very excited about. A lot of you don't know what that is, uh, but uh, ask your neighbour. Um, but uh, we're online, so do listen to those because um, that gives you the background to this. But now we get to day seven, and this day breaks the whole pattern. See, no creating takes place on this day, but something else happens. Have a look at verse two. Uh, it's on page four, two verse two. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he'd been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. See, um, this verse concludes the pattern that was the the story that was started back in chapter one. See, in chapter one, it was all empty and formless. And now the work is all over and God rests. But it immediately raises the question, doesn't it, as readers, what does it mean that God rests? I mean, you and me need rest, we're physical, we get tired, but surely not with God. But rest here doesn't mean quite as we might imagine. It doesn't mean that God needed a break. He's not tired from doing six days of heavy work and he needs to down his tools. And it doesn't mean also that he kind of gives up working, that uh, he kind of clocks off on day seven from upholding the universe. Um, John chapter five, Jesus says, my father is always working to this day. 
So if rest doesn't mean stopping work, ceasing activity, what does it mean? Well, I think we're given a clue in verse 1. The author tells us, thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array, and so God rests. See, rest, I think, is the climax of creation. It's what the creation was all about. See, God resting means he's moving on from a new stage. He was in creation mode, if I can put it like that. And now he moves to resting, to enjoying the universe he has made. There's a great book um, by a, a guy with a fantastic name, Gerhardus Voss, and um, it's uh, called Biblical Theology, and it basically gives an overview of the whole Bible. It's pretty meaty, but it's um, the, the best book on the subject. And uh, he's just puts this a lot clearer uh, than I can, and uh, it's worth reading uh, if you want to find out a bit more. He says this about rest. Rest stands for the consummation of a work accomplished and the joy and satisfaction attendant upon this. It's a little bit fancy what he says, but he's saying that the work's done, it's the consummation, but notice what else he says, and now it's the joy and satisfaction on this. Now, that might still be a bit confusing. Let me give you an example of what I think uh, this rest is getting at. I've got a friend who's an architect, and for years, he has been building his own house. Now, um, lots of us have watched Channel 4's, um, what's it called? Grand Designs, that's it, just went out of my mind. And we watch that and we think, my goodness, no way, never me. Everyone uh, is crying, goes over budget, and it looks a bad idea. But my friend watched that and uh, he thought, I'll do that, that sounds a a great idea. And for years he's been speaking about it. He often sends us a photo uh, of the house and it's often a shell. Uh, It's got no floors, got no roofs, and we make wisecracks like you're pretty roofless. And um, that's pretty good, come on. (laughs) And then finally, at the end of last year, uh, he finished. And we were all invited around Christmas to go and see it, and it was incredible. It finished. Now, when we entered the house, it would be very strange, wouldn't it, if we just kind of ignored where we were sitting. And in fact, we didn't do that. We spent hours, literally hours in my case, looking around every detail, the three-meter-high floor, which I was very happy with, the roof made with glass, uh, that was put in with a huge crane, uh, and then they found out one of the colours was slightly off, so it's got to be replaced, but it's pretty finished anyway. And then this tap, honestly, ask me about this afterwards, the tap that delivers instant boiling water. It was incredible. The work was finished. It was time to enjoy it, to look at every detail, and to rejoice in what had been done. And that is what God does here. He looks out at the vast universe he has made with all its spectacular beauty, the perfectly formed blue planet, the shores of fish in the sea, the herds of buffalo charging across the land, the flocks of birds darting across the sky, and God enjoys it. Now, why is this so significant? Well, there are a couple of details here which... have really major implications, but they're easy to miss. Uh, First of all, notice this day has no ending. You get this repeat through chapter 1 that God said, and it was so, and it uh, it was good, and it was morning and evening the next day. God saw, God said, God saw, and morning and evening the next day. And you, you see that pattern repeated time and time again, but there's no morning and evening with this day. So this isn't just one day off, and then God gets back to the work of creating in the following week. The net, the rest here never ends. And we'll come back to that a bit later on. 
Secondly, though, uh, God makes this rest special. Have a look at verse 3. He says, And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Now, this is the first thing ever in the Bible to be made holy. Holy is um, a strange word, isn't it? But we kind of know what it means, but it's difficult to define. Uh, But holy is really to set something apart for a special purpose. In our home, we've got a special uh, cutlery drawer. Um, Normally, in the week, we use the cheap stuff from Ikea. And uh, we've got a special set from our wedding that we get out for very special guests. Now, if you ever come to my house, you can tell what I think of you by uh, what... (laughs) I must remember to get the special cutlery out. But the point is, we've got a holy cutlery drawer. It's holy to us. And God does that with his rest. He makes this his special moments. It's the climax of creation. Now, the big question I've had um, in preparing this is why these verses? Why do we get these verses at all? Why not go straight from days one to six into the main story of the rest of the Bible? And I think the answer is this. I think it shows us that creation has a goal beyond itself. It's not just that God creates for the sake of it. It's not just that God, if I can put it this way, has a, fancies doing a project and uh, creates the world and just lets it go loose. See, God creates because he wants to enjoy it, and he wants us to enjoy him. See, our existence isn't just aimless. We're not just the product of a lucky throw of the cosmic dice. We're made for a reason. We're made to enjoy God's rest. See, if we forget that and we think that the sum total of our lives is our work, perhaps to bear children and and then to die, we're missing the whole point. We're meant to enjoy rest with God. Creation is going somewhere. Creation has a goal. Now, for lots of us, especially if we're from a Western culture, we hear that and we kind of get the instinctive feeling that creation is going somewhere, even if we don't know uh, what the answer is. But let me just say that that is not automatic. And in fact, it is passages like this that have given us this understanding that creation is progressing somewhere. See, many other cultures, many other worldviews see history more of a cycle that goes around and around and around with no end in sight. Take, for example, that great cultural artifact, uh, the Lion King. Um, Everyone has pretty much seen the Lion King. Uh, If not, you should. Um, And you know the opening song, don't you? The bit about the lion, you hold up the lion, and we've done it with children uh, before. And what are they singing as they do that? It's a circle of life. And uh, that's no coincidence. That's the kind of view that is being put across in the film. Take some of the lyrics in that song. But the sun rolling high through the sapphire sky keeps the great and small on their endless round. It's a circle of life. It's a will of fortune. Don't go on singing it. But you see the point, don't you? Endless round. And I think we feel that, don't we? In our culture, it feels like that we're going round and round. And perhaps we've lost sight of where we're headed. But here's the answer. It is towards God's rest. We could say much more on that, but I want us to push on into this second point and see um, how we fit into this. So God has a rest, creation's got a goal, uh, but what does that mean for us on the ground? 
And, and to answer that, I want us to kind of take um, the handbrake off and go through the Bible and think about how rest develops as an idea. Um, we're going to go pretty quick, so um, yeah, I don't know, uh, just to warn you. Um, I want us to think about uh, how rest develops in two particular ways. First of all, I want us to think about what God promises his people. Um, lots of us will know the Bible story that God's people go into slavery, they get rescued, they get taken into a promised land. But often, I think we miss how that promised land is described. Uh, look, for example, here in Deuteronomy. Uh, you don't need to turn, it's on the screen behind me. You have not yet, this is what Moses says, you have not yet reached the resting place, and the inheritance the Lord your God is given you. But you will cross the Jordan and settle in the land of the Lord is given you as an inheritance. And here's the point, and he will give you rest. See the significance. See, God giving them land is not really about giving them prime real estate. It's about them enjoying God's rest. And uh, look at this verse from when they're in the land. This is what Joshua says. Now the Lord your God has given them rest as he promised. See, the whole goal for God's people was not to inherit a patch of land in the Middle East. It wasn't even about the milk and honey, as good as that was, but it was about rest, about being in relationship with their creator and knowing him forever. Now, the second place we see this is in uh, the Sabbath. Um, The Sabbath, most of us will be aware, is the principle where you take one day off in seven. Um, But why? You might think, well, it sounds very sensible, doesn't it, to not work every day, but that's not the reason the Bible gives. Have a look at Exodus. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. See, do you see the point? Moses points back to creation and God's rest. See, the point of the Sabbath wasn't just to think, well, that's another week done. Now's a chance to kind of flick on Netflix and just veg out on the sofa. It wasn't about that. It was meant to remind you that you're made for something else. You were meant to rest to remind you that you were not designed just to work. Now, I'm not commenting on the Sabbath today uh, because that would be another talk, but in principle, this Sabbath was a recurring soundtrack telling you that you're meant for God's rest. Now, the whole point here is that God's actions in the Bible were about bringing his people into his rest. It wasn't just a rescue campaign for the sake of it or because God needed a a people. God wants us to enjoy him and for him to enjoy us. I wonder if you ever thought about yourselves like that. Have you ever thought that you're designed for something else? You're designed for rest. You're made to know your maker. Last week I, I spoke about the dignity of work, and I said last week that there's huge significance in our work. God works and we follow that pattern in our work. No matter what we do, whether we're on uh, the office or on the site or at home, work is good. But here's an important nuance to bear in mind. Work is not the ultimate goal. We're not made ultimately to work. Adam was made to enjoy God's rest. Israel was rescued to enjoy God's rest. And you and me are designed to enjoy God's rest. Now, I think 
safe to say that we've lost that idea massively in our culture. And I think it's no surprise that in its place, people have put work as the ultimate goal. I'm speaking about myself here as well. I went to a school where we were uh, driven pretty hard, driven to achieve, get the best results, get the best job. But no one ever asked the question, why? What's the end game? And those of us in work can feel like our work, our earthly work, is our ultimate identity. It's what we've been made for. And we can feel like the sheppy sailor going round and round, going from work to weekend, work to weekend, work to weekend, work to weekend, and not knowing where it's heading. And often I think we, we find that kind of spill out when there's a kind of jolt in our normal working patterns. Perhaps we're made unemployed, or perhaps we become retired, or perhaps we're unable to work, or perhaps we're working in the home. And with that, you'll know, comes a loss of identity and who we are, because it feels like we've lost what we're about. But work is not the final goal. We're made for God's rest. We're um, split in our household about the Dolly Parton song, um, Nine to Five. Uh, Claire loves it, my wife. I hate it. And the reason I hate it is because it's too upbeat, too jovial, and uh, I like sad songs. So give me the first two Coldplay albums. I'm quite happy with those. But actually, there's an irony with the song because it's a very kind of upbeat, marching tempo, a very happy tone. But actually, the lyrics, if you look at them, tell a different story. See, it describes a life that's pretty miserable, going nine to five every day, every week, every year, with no end. Here's some of the lyrics. Let, they let you dream just to watch them shatter. Nine to five. Yeah, they got you where they want you. There's a better life. And you dream about it, don't you? See, many in our culture know that instinct, that there is a better life. Perhaps we even dream about it. But it's drowned out because the nine to five starts again, and we never ask where we're going. But thankfully, friends, the Bible sings a different story. You're designed for rest. You're designed to know your maker. And that is where we should be heading. Thirdly, um, I want us to uh, move here from looking at God's rest and how we fit in to answering this question, how do we get there? Because the surprising answer the Bible gives us back is that we can't. See, there is this expectation that we enter God's rest, but the thing is, if it was left to you and me, we wouldn't want it. See, Adam was meant to uh, enjoy this rest forever, but in a chapter's time, we're going to see him barred from the garden. And him, along with every one of his descendants, are put out of God's rest, destined to work and work and work, and then return to the ground. And there are some glimmers of hope, and we've looked at a couple of them this morning. God rescues his people for rest, but the same thing happens. It's just a repeat of Eden. It never lasts. They follow the same pattern as Adam. Psalm 95 says this about God's people. They are a people whose hearts go astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared an oath on my anger, in my anger. They shall never enter my rest. Now, it's very tempting at this point to say, learn the lesson. Look at Adam. He didn't do it. Make sure you do it. Look at Israel. They stuffed it up. Make sure you obey. But the truth is, we wouldn't do any better even with the rest on offer, even understanding its beauty, 
we would refuse to take it on God's terms. But then, thankfully, Jesus comes into our world and he says these most incredible words in Matthew 11. They're on your handout if you want to look at them. He says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Do you see what Jesus is saying? He's saying, I can give you this rest. I am the way to knowing God. I'm the way of getting to the goal of creation. I'm the way you can enjoy God forever. And Jesus goes on to win for us this rest in his death and resurrection. As Jesus dies, as he feels forsaken by his father, he experiences a loss in that rest he was enjoying with his father. But through that suffering, he wins for us rest forever. God enters into rest. We're designed for rest. And through Jesus, you and me can have that rest. See, friends, we don't want to be like the sheppy sailor, do we? Going round and round and round without a focus on our destination. Our goal is rest, and Jesus brings us there. So go to him, cling on to him, and he will deliver on his promise to find rest for our souls. There's a great old hymn uh, called uh, We Rest on Thee. You probably know it. And um, it speaks about trusting in God, and it's a kind of a resolve to kind of trust on God, to, to rest on him and not in our own strength. And I had not noticed until this week that actually there's a, there's a change in the song uh, right at the end. It goes from resting on thee to resting with thee. And I love this final verse. When reigning in the kingdom of thy splendor, victors, we rest with thee through endless days. That is what we've been made for. That is what Jesus is going to take us to. That is the goal, to rest with thee through endless days. Just before we finish, let me just give you three little things to take away. Three things I think this might cause us to do as a response. First of all, um, I think we want to be asking people, what's it all about? I think we're at a time in our culture where this idea is very much in the shadows. And particularly in our political climate, where we feel like we're just going round and round and round with little sense of direction. The church has got a great opportunity, isn't it, to ask people, what's it about? Why not do that tomorrow, Monday, at the water cooler? Just ask someone, where, where do you think this is all going? Why? Secondly, remember rest. I'm not going to prescribe to you how you need to rest, how much rest you need, and all of that. But this is asked, this has prompted the question in me, do I set time aside to think about what I'm ultimately made for? Am I reminding myself every morning, every week, that I'm heading towards a goal beyond my work? I'm made for more. Thirdly, are we a church that is focused on this rest? There can be the temptation, I've not always uh, come across it here, uh, that people only think about the future when they get near it. Uh, it's something for those in their final decades. But um, we haven't had time to look at it, but that's not what Hebrew says. It says, today, press on, encourage one another. And we as a church should be encouraging one another to press on to that goal. They're the type of conversations that would be good uh, to have. Let's pray. You will find rest for your souls. We praise you, our gracious Heavenly Father. 
that you have entered into your rest and invite us to participate in it. We thank you so much for the Lord Jesus who came as that second Adam to deliver the rest that we could never earn ourselves. We pray, our Father, that you would lift our eyes onto our destination and cause us as a church, Father, to press on uh, towards the rest that is to come. And we ask this in Jesus' strength, in his name. Amen.